I have spent the last few years traveling the world and writing about my favorite elixir, whiskey. This show is all about the brands, the spirits, and the distilleries you know and love. Join us as we share our stories and our words of whiskey. Welcome back to another episode of Words of Whiskey. I am your host, Josh Hart. As always, uh, we have Andrew Davis behind the boards, and a special guest for us is Aaron from Bourbon and Banter. How's it going today, Aaron? It's going great. Thank you so much. Doing good. Thank you so much for agreeing to to come on the show. The the bourbon you chose today is Old Granddad OGD. Yes, it is. I love I love a good old GD. Uh, you know, high rye, and I'm you know I'm just in general a huge fan of everything that comes out of Beam. Yeah. Um. So this is a this is a good standard for me, a cocktail workhorse, and then also uh, just good when you want something a little bit higher proof. Yeah. Well, that that's a good thing because I, I like a lot of my bourbon, especially when it's summertime. I like putting them on the rocks, uh, and with the higher proof, it's really easy to do that and not lose any of that still aggressive bourbon flavoring. So uh, those are the kind of things I like to do um, with with the higher proof or the, even like the the barrel strength uh, expressions. But yeah, no, Old Grand is one I hadn't tried in a while, uh, so I was happy to see that pop up on the list and go. You know what? It's time for me to go find a bottle of that, dust it off, and and uh, and get back into it again. So I appreciate that. Um, other than it being you know great for cocktails, uh, what what do you love the most? Because things that I like about the words of whiskey podcast is going through and like talking about like your stories or uh, like memories that I have with expressions. Do you have any certain stories or expressions that you would attach to old granddad? Um, you know, I wish I did. Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm actually from Lawrenceburg, so a lot of those, uh, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, not Indiana, Uh, you know, so a lot of those kind of uh, stories, if you will, come from uh, Four Roses. But for this particular whiskey, I feel like it's one that doesn't necessarily get talked about very much. Um, And it is a little bit of a sleeper. I'm hoping that, you know, this this doesn't end up like a McKenna where, you know, shelves are getting cleared and prices go up on secondary. Uh, But I think that Beam has a pretty good handle on uh, the supply chain of this. So... Um, you know, I will say one time I was in Lexington at Justin's House of Bourbon, uh, just kind of perusing and chatting with folks. And, uh, someone walked over to the shelf and was like, oh, you know, like I I need a good bourbon for cocktails. And they picked up a Willet pot still. And I was like, that's a pretty bottle, but put that down. That's not going to be good for cocktails. (laughs) It's a very pretty bottle. Um, love Willet, but that one is just not very good. Um, And again, it's a pretty bottle. It's a lovely display piece. Uh, But as far as they wanted to do cocktails, you know, old fashioned Manhattans and that. And so I grabbed this for them and I said, listen, if you really want something that's going to do great in cocktails, this is, this is your, your guy. Um, I teach a lot of cocktail classes. I'm the head mixologist for coursehorse.com as well. Uh, uh-huh. So I do a lot of virtual cocktail classes. Um, and so I teach a lot of whiskey cocktails. And I always tell folks, you know, look for a whiskey that's going to be between 90 and 100 proof because you still want that nice, uh, that burn, um, that that alcohol of the whiskey to still shine through. Even if you're doing something like a smash or a whiskey sour that has a lot of things, can really dial down and hide some of that whiskey flavor. And so I know this one is uh, above that 100 threshold, but a lot of times folks, uh, when they're getting into cocktails, they can't necessarily, I don't want to say handle it, uh, but they're not really looking for that 
that heavy alcohol that maybe I do at a bourbon. Uh, so the, the OGD 114 is just, I mean, it's one that I like to recommend to folks for cocktails, especially uh, if they want something over a hundred proof. Yeah, and Aaron, you know, that's something that I, I hear people talk about, especially a few years back, but they would go, oh man, this cocktail is so great, you can barely taste the alcohol. And I'm like, well, that, what, what's, the, what's the point of that? Like, I, I, I prefer to know I'm drinking alcohol, one, so I don't drink it near as fast, which is helpful. Uh, but two, just so I can get the complexity. Like that, that to me is what makes a good cocktail. So I can go, oh, yeah, I, I get that Hendrix gin or I, or I get that, that charred oak or I get those flavors coming through along with the things that they put into the cocktail to make them, uh, you know, custom and their own. Well, I think a lot of times when people say that, they're they're saying that, oh, well, I don't want something that's going to, you know, like burn the back of my throat. It's going to, you know, just be really hot because they don't like uh, that really heavy taste of alcohol. But a well-made cocktail really should never have that flavor. Um, if you're using quality spirits and you're using a well-balanced uh, recipe, you should never have that issue of saying like, oh, I don't want to taste the alcohol because you should still be able to taste just enough of the alcohol, but the good components of the alcohol, not necessarily those more volatile uh, flavors that are in there. So um, that also might just be a, a fact of folks using crappy alcohol, uh, yeah. <laughs> cheap liquor. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to use a well bottle, yeah, you're going to taste that alcohol because it's not a well-made spirit. Um, it's just, it is there to put some octane in you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, so when, just because it is 114, you know, you're still going to get some of those nice alcohol notes, but if you're using a well-balanced recipe, it shouldn't even be overwhelming, um, if you will, but you will certainly be able to taste in more of a spirit forward cocktail, like a Manhattan or an old fashioned or and a Boulevardier. I, I, I haven't started, I haven't had a sip yet, but from what I remember of old granddad, it was more aggressive on the front of your palate, uh, mm -hmm. but mild going down um, is what I remember. Well, and I think a lot of that is also a result of the fact that it's a high ride mash bill as well. Yeah. Right. Um, so this, uh, you know, this it's, it's, you know, cousin is Basil Hayden. It's named after the same, the same person. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that old granddad is the same, uh, the Hayden uh, that, that we get the, the low proof. Of. Uh, so, yeah, I think that also has to do with just the, the nature of the mash bill. Yeah, no, that is that is a quality yeah. bourbon. Yeah, so you have the 114. I, I have a lower proof one. I have this, the old standard label. Um, but I think, it's, I, think, I think it was a 80 or 90 proof. 80. 80. So there's yeah, an 80, 100, 100 80. and a 114. Yeah, I think it was the 80 proof. Um, but still, that, that is a quality, a quality uh, proof for bourbon. You can still have that on the rocks a little bit, and it's fine on a hot summer day. Um, but um, this is phenomenal. This is a, yeah. I think we were saying before this isn't this isn't bottom shelf. This is definitely a mid shelf. Uh, it could be um, every week, maybe an every day, depending on how your COVID experience is going. Uh, but an everyday kind of bourbon that you wouldn't feel bad about going through a bottle a week. Or maybe a bottle every two weeks. I don't want to condone uh, uh, over over consumption. So maybe every two weeks, going through a bottle of this, you wouldn't feel you wouldn't feel uh, necessarily sort of sort of bad about it as if you would if it was a higher price higher price bottle. But yeah, it's and it's, you know the thing is though is the nice thing about this particular 
uh, brand is that there are those three different proof expressions. So you've got the 80, you've got the 100 bottled and bond, and then you've got the 114, right? So it's one that you can, if you like that particular flavor profile, you can have all three of those. Um, and depending on the type of day you had uh, or the kind <laughs> of night that you want to have, uh, you can always dial up or down that octane. So um, but you know this more than me because I'm not, I'm not familiar with the higher expressions of this. But if I were to get the 114, let's just say, would it taste the same as the 80 if I just add more pure water to it? Uh, it should taste similar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they are, so it is the exact same mash bill. Yeah. Um, it's coming out of the same, uh, I haven't done a side-by-side, -side, but it should, it should taste uh, very similar. Um, you know, I mean, you don't want to just say like, oh, I'm going to buy a bottle of 114 and add water to it. And so then I have <laughs> oh, yeah. two bottles yeah. now of 100. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, there's also a different purpose for different proofs, right? Uh, me in general, I love barrel proofs. Um, you know, Elijah Craig barrel proof is one of my absolute favorite bourbons out there. And it comes in so many fun expressions every quarter, however often they release it. Um, and so having this, uh, because like you were saying that you like to add a little bit of ice into it in the summer. Yeah. Uh, some people might get mad at me, but uh, I like adding ice to my bourbon, like one or two little cubes, uh, always. Uh, I taste it neat. And then I pop in an ice cube or two mm -hmm. and let it mellow slightly. Yeah. And I also just like the chill. Yep. Yeah. I I find it I find it brings out more of that caramel flavoring, which I, I love a lot. When you add some ice to it, it kind of like slows it up a little bit. And that's just that's just for me. I remember the thing I like about the past probably seven or eight years for whiskey and bourbon, and I'm sure it's been longer than that, but that's just been my knowledge of it. Is that growing up, I you know, I thought, oh, you to get good expressions. You really have to go to Scotch. You have to go uh, into Scotland to get to get good bottles. They're the ones that really care about the history and da, da, da. and the more you learn, America has a has a rich history, of phenomenal whiskeys, phenomenal bottles. Uh, people who have cared about this for generations and generations and have passed down uh, phenomenal spirits. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I actually also teach a uh, history of the world through booze class uh, as well, uh, where I actually go deep, deep into that. And, you know, so, I mean, America's history with whiskey is runs very deep. It's, it's very deep in our roots. Um, but then also, I think some people say that about scotch because they think about single malt scotches. Um, but the single malt scotch movement, I mean, that only happened in the past like 50 years. I mean, that's pretty recent. Yep. Um, granted, the single barrel process only started about in the 80s, uh, you know, with Elmer T. Lee and the creation of Blanton's. Um, but, you know, whiskey is is a very important part of Americana and our history, and it's so intrinsically linked to, uh, you know, the way that we do things today even. Um, so, for example, the, the entire uh, evolution of political parties in this country actually started with the Whiskey Rebellion um, in the late 1790s, uh, and it was because folks didn't want to have to pay taxes on the whiskey that they were producing uh, using American-made grains, right? And so, you know, long story short, uh, Washington wrote his troops in, everybody had already gone home by that time. Uh, but what politicians were telling them was like, hey, listen, we understand you're saying that you think that you're being taxed without representation and you literally just fought a war over this, but you actually do have representation through us, your congressional representatives. So you need to vote for the people who are going to promote your ideas uh, and the way that you want your life to be governed, um, vote those people into Congress. And so that's how we get our earliest political parties uh, in the United States over whether or not people actually want to pay taxes on bourbon or not. So uh, who is pro-bourbon, who is anti-bourbon? That, that'll determine how I vote in the future. 
<laughs> well, I mean, the parties were definitely, I mean, you know, as anybody knows, I mean, you know, uh, you know, the, the Republican and Democratic Party <laughs> yeah. don't look the same as they did even no. in the mid-1800s. No. Uh, and, you know, then we had like, you know, the Whigs and the know-nothings and the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, you know, that's really how we started getting a division between like folks who want to pay taxes and folks who didn't want to pay taxes. And the whole reason also that we drink bourbon and rye so much in this country and we have it really in our blood and we have such a taste for it in America is because in 1807, during the Napoleonic Wars, uh, the British were really mad that the, the Americans were supporting the French um, because they had helped us win our, revo or our revolution. Uh, and now uh, England and France were fighting each other in the Napoleonic Wars. And so uh, England was like, you know, we're mad about this. So we're gonna send our Navy, we're gonna blockade the Atlantic, we're gonna blockade trade from the Southern Caribbean colonies of the French. And so that means that our taste for things like rum, brandy and cognac, uh, had to shift because it was cut off. Yeah. And so that's why we started having to dip into our own stock and drink more and more of it. Yeah. So, you know, politics, geopolitics uh, really shifts the way uh, that we are drinking habits today. And so I, I think that people sometimes want to say, uh, oh, you have to go to Scotland for really, you know, good, good bottles. But remember, um, those scotch bottles and those scotch barrels wouldn't really have a chance to thrive if it weren't for the American whiskey market. Yep. Because by law, right, I mean, they have to be in brand new charred oak barrels. So there's a huge secondary market for used, uh, I'm sorry, a, a huge used market, I guess, for secondary purpose, not secondary in the way that we think of in bourbon. <laughs> um, no, yeah, ugh, that's yeah. a whole different other topic. But yeah, I mean, scotch gets so much benefit from American whiskeys. Yep. And a lot of those flavors are, are imparted from the American whiskey products and the fact that they've been imbued in those barrels that they then age, age scotch in. That's great. Well, Aaron, uh, how do people find out about your online courses and classes and how can they uh, join in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can either message me uh, directly on Instagram, ERPDC, Aaron Russell Petrie, District of Columbia. Uh, also, Aaron.Petrie at bourbonbanter.com. Uh, or you can go over to coursehorse.com, C-O-U-R-S-E-H-O-R-S-E.com. We offer both public and private classes, and uh, I I will likely be your, your instructor. And you'll have we'll have all those linked down below as well. So if you didn't catch all that, you can just go and click links below. Um, I, I, I thank you for taking the time out of your day to sit and have a dram with me and talk. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Josh. Right. Cheers. Thanks, Aaron.